Welcome to Out of Ratio, the podcast where we break free from the constraints of traditional thinking and embrace the extraordinary world of early childhood education. I'm your host, and together, let's embark on a journey that challenges the status quo, pushes boundaries, and nurtures the seeds of innovation. So get ready for captivating interviews, thought-provoking discussions, and inspiring stories that will challenge your perceptions and ignite your passion for early childhood education. Let's get started. Welcome back to Out of Ratio, the show where we dive deep into the world of early childhood education. I'm your host, Sam. And I'm Justin. And today we have a dedicated advocate and a member of the FLACI Board of Directors with us. Joining us is Norma Schwartz. Norma, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Norma, can you introduce yourself and share your background in early childhood education and then how you developed a passion for advocacy? Sure. So I'm Norma Schwartz, and I'm currently in Florida in Miami-Dade. And let's see. So my early childhood journey started from the time I was two. Um, And I'll get more into it. But basically, I am a product of a very high-quality early childhood education um, here in Miami-Dade. And growing up, I always knew I wanted to be a teacher. As I started pursuing my career path, my education, I pictured myself more as an elementary school teacher that would have a beautiful bulletin board and my pencils would all be sharpened and everything would be just perfect and pretty and I would wear like really cute sweaters and um, as I started engaging with the curriculum, I did a short stint in an early childhood classroom and it was a complete chaos. And I was just like, whoa, okay, all right. Um, So then I ended up participating in some research studies in college and it gave me the opportunity to visit early childhood centers all across the US. I was a college student. I didn't have that many responsibilities and I could afford to kind of go out there on the whim and just it gave me a chance to see what it looks like in different places and I was blown away but I also thought like oh wow like this is this is this is interesting and you know what I've sat on so many observations I can do this it's it's not rocket science so I ended up as a head start teacher and on my first day I was like whoa this is like beyond rocket science I don't (laughs) got it like all my book knowledge is not going to do me any good here I need to develop some some tools so that's basically where it all stemmed from I started my career my official teaching career as a head start teacher and then it just developed and I as I peeled back the layers um it took me into the intervention space And then as far as the advocacy Mm -hmm. piece, how I got in there, well, as a teacher, you see things and you're kind of in your own little bubble. And I remember, I wish I could say it came from a place of love and inspiration, but it came from a place of like, who made these rules and like, like who's... (laughs) thing like who are these people like don't they understand (laughs) so I came from a place of I have a bone to pick with someone like let me talk to the manager and then I found out like there's like all the managers and they're everywhere (laughs) they make all these decisions so that's how I started my advocacy journey was trying to track down who's making all these decisions on our behalf as teachers and the little babies I'm looking after I'm so glad you, you shared your experience and we have something in common so my so I attended Head Start. I'm a Head Start alumni, 
or alumnus, however you say that word in the singular. <laughs> um, and my mother had attended Head Start and my grandmother was actually my mother's teacher in Head Start when the Head Start program oh. first rolled out in the state of Iowa. I have a deep love for Head Start. And while Head Start is a, a really great program, there are a lot of levels of bureaucracy and a lot of bones to pick with a lot of people. So that's <laughs> a, a, a good thing and a good place to start if you have the passion to be able to pick some bones. So kudos to you. And advocacy in general plays a really crucial role in early childhood education, especially where this critical point of potential change. So could you elaborate on why advocacy is so essential in your in your role at FLACI in the, a chapter of the National Association of the Education of Young Children and on a kind of a greater stage of the United States? What, what does advocacy mean in this field right now? So advocacy in, you know, we'll start with statewide. The reason why it's important, it's because it really does help create an awareness and we're in, in a way we're educating the community, the decision makers uh, on what the importance is of early childhood education, but also what how important the conditions in which this education and brain building take place. And also just to humanize the people doing the work that it's not, you're just not dropping, we're not just dropping off our children so that we can go to work. Like there's this whole other piece that goes into it. Um, the teachers that educate our young children are also parents are possibly also taking care of their own parents they're you know they're just members of our community and this impacts so many layers of our communities like locally statewide Lacey's role is basically a place where teachers have a voice because although it's a very heavily regulated field rightfully so there needs to be a lot of health and safety parameters in place um, there needs to be a place where the teachers feel that their voices are being amplified and not just so much that you can share your stories here and we're going to take them to, you know, wherever, whoever it is that's listening, but no, you can share your stories here and then we want to empower teachers to be able to share their stories, their experiences, their insights with community members and and policymakers as well. And I think this is, you know, this goes beyond. This is how you start with, I have a bone to pick. Let me talk to your manager to, you're like in the Washington DC sitting in a congressional office, like on a leather seat saying like, well, this is my story. And this is why it's important that you pass this huge bill. Um, so it just there's just so many layers of of how advocacy and placey and in the greater Arnacy uh, chapter, like how it how it makes an impact and why it's important it's important. Yeah, I love how you said Flacey's job is to amplify the voices of the child care providers, the professionals in the field. And I think one thing that would be really helpful in general, is once those voices are amplified, if they can harmonize and have mm -hmm. a, this is what we need. Um, it seems because in each state that, I mean, there's blanket needs across the country, like better wages, better training, better, you know, there's all these different things that are needed. But I think the way that it's, it goes about, ad, ad, the way that advocacy is done in Florida 
is a little bit different in other states because they have different systems and they have different people who are running the child care. Um, for example, in Texas, the workforce runs the child care subsidy, where in other places, it's the Department of Early Learning. They have a specific department. In other places, it's the Department of Health and Human Services. But those people who I, I, I'm sure are doing a great job, they have so many other things they have to worry about. For example, let's say the, the WIC program, Women, Infant, and Children. Love the program. Incredible. But it's under the U.S. Department of Agriculture because it goes on like nutrition and things. So mm -hmm. the way that things are categorized is often difficult in terms of getting things done because we're talking to people who are also working on genetics of cows and we're talking about maternal and infant mortality. You know, it's just so different in this country. So finding a way to amplify and then to harmonize is really key. Absolutely. Absolutely. I remember being at Felicity last year and one of the speakers on one of the very first days got up and she was really talking about that exact thing where if we are having disagreements amongst ourselves in the field on what we want to be called or things that in the grand scheme are actually not nearly as important as the things that we all agree on, the things that we all want to happen, like those wage increases or like being seen um, as more than just child care or daycare, that we want to be seen as educators. And it was so eye-opening, I think, to have somebody um, really lay it out there. Like, you know what you are, get together and start telling other people start pushing that message beyond our field. And so I love that, like, it feels to me as someone who was there last year, someone who's going to Flacey again this year, um, like, it feels like Flacey really was listening to that and really honed in on like, okay, we want to help make this happen. And as, well, former now teacher, but <laughs> Flacey is such a fun conference to be around your peers, but it also is so nice to be in a place where you feel seen and heard and appreciated. And I just think that there has to be more places where early educators feel those things, that spaces that are made for them. Um, I'm, I'm smiling, my heart oh. is singing, and I'm like, oh, that's amazing. <laughs> oh, good. I think one of the hardest things for people who maybe want to get into advocacy is like, how do I, how do I even start? How do I get there? Can you kind of share some personal experiences or maybe an event that really pushed you to become an advocate or that pushed you further into advocacy? So I feel that there are two things, you know, I'm very passionate about the children and early childhood education. It's, it's my field, but I'm also very passionate about teachers in the field and the reason being is that I always I share a story that when my parents came from Nicaragua you know there was like it was a brand new start they didn't speak the language they didn't know anywhere they came from a culture where you rely on your village to help you you know just go and do the things that you do um, and they were basically alone and trying to make it they had a hard time finding safe 
childcare for me and my brother. So as they were struggling and trying to survive and not really understanding where they will be in, you know, in a few months, they came across this childcare center, which also happened to be a Head Start center. Um, and they were basically like, please help me take my baby. Like we, we, we want somewhere safe for her and we need to work. So I, I, did not meet the cutoff point. They were only at the time taking three, like two-year-olds and older, and I was still considered an infant. Um, and they were like, mm, okay, like just for you one time, we'll make an exception. And, you know, so they, they took me in and my brother and my parents just, I, I don't want to say then they lived off the American, they got the American dream, but they were able to go from a survival mode to, uh, okay, we're stabilized. So my parents were able to go work their full eight hours and focus on work. Um, they, they were able to advance their, their new life in the United States. So my mom was able to enroll in cosmetology school with the support of the school and the teacher. So um, they learned all about like what Thanksgiving, like what is Thanksgiving and why did you come home with a frozen turkey in your backpack? I'm like, I don't know, but it, <laughs> they gave it to me. <laughs> and so it was even like help them like, uh, like just learn about this new culture. So that to me is my parents were always really adamant about making sure that we understood that they had an easier time and that they were able to do things for us because these women that had nothing to do with us took a chance on our family and just did their thing. They were just doing their job, but it really helped them. So to me, that that's where my advocacy passion stems from. It's just remembering like what an impact they had on our family now, let alone like all families. Mm -hmm. So this is where, you know, that's one of the things. And then as a teacher, you you ex have your other experiences and, and like all of us that have been in the classroom, like we have so many stories living inside of us mm -hmm. that we can say early childhood, it's a women's issue. It's an environmental mm -hmm. issue. It's a housing issue. It's a transportation issue. Like it's all our stories that we have living inside of us as former students, former teachers, current teachers, directors, um, they just, they, they, you know, they just add so much fuel to this advocacy in early ed space. A little bit of background on me. I had served as a, a missionary in Texas where I was working with predominantly the Hispanic community in San Antonio. So I've heard stories similar to your parents hundreds of times. And every time I hear them, I just feel like, wow, how <laughs> incredibly strong is the Hispanic community in the United States, just like the spirit of the Hispanic community, because those are hard things and just want to honor you and your culture, like, good for you. Thank um, you. And not just me, but our entire team at Bertelson Education. Recently, there was a lot of government funds through the American Rescue Plan. Um, and we worked on this project in Florida, the Continuous Quality Improvement, where we had a bundle of our courses that teachers could take for professional development that would be kind of like the mechanism for teachers to get bonuses. Um, we had that bundle in English and we also had that bundle in Spanish. And we were working with providers in the state of Florida to be able to access those funding or that funding. And we didn't want our Spanish speaking providers to be looked over because they're just as much as providers as the English speaking providers. We want them to be able to, and 
oftentimes they're in-home child care providers, which is great. We want them to be able to access those funds and be recognized and have their voice amplified and then harmonized because their voice matters too. So I'm glad that you had such a wonderful experience at, at Head Start and um, being able to have child care really catapult you to being the, the leader you are uh, today. So kudos to you and shout out to all the Hispanic community in Florida and across the United States. Thank you. I think it says so much about how preschools or childcare centers become not just a business, but a part of a community and how important it is for the people who work in our field to not forget that there are families outside once they walk out the doors, our job isn't necessarily done. Um, and that part of our job is to ensure that the families are taken care of, not just their kids, because if their kids need something outside of the school, lots of times we can help be a part of that, or we have access or knowledge of resources that can go outside of the school with them. And so much of what we're teaching the kids in the classroom is how to be wonderful humans outside of the class, both in and outside <laughs> of the classroom. And one of the things that I think happens to a lot of teachers, especially, is we get really focused on just making it through the day. <laughs> and when that <laughs> happens, not to say that our days are not difficult, because for sure, being an early educator at it doesn't matter what age group you work with. It's tough. Every age group has their different challenges. But I think when you kind of get in that, okay, I'm just trying to get from point A to point B, it's easy to let that piece that goes out the door with the kids kind of fall to the back or fall to the wayside. And one of the things that I loved when I came on with Bertelson Education was that they have parenting like packets that schools can get and give to their families. And to me, having been a director, I was like, what an awesome way to just make that piece e easier. Like, okay, they kind of did the legwork. So I can still provide <laughs> that to parents, whether that's, you know, in a, in a blog format, whether that's, you know, we're sharing things on our Facebook group, it's there and it's accessible. And, you know, being, having been a teacher and having been a director, I love that you talk about your passion for teachers, advocating for teachers in this space. And I think we don't often talk enough about how advocacy in early childhood education, it has so many levels. I feel like it's an onion, right? So like <laughs> you're advocating at this like government level, whether that's federal or state, and then it just kind of branches down from there all the way to directors advocating for their teachers to teachers advocating for the students in their classroom. And it can be really daunting to say, okay, here's, you know, my two page list of job responsibilities <sighs> and I want to do more. And I want to advocate for my teachers or my students in my classroom, but then going, when am I going to have the time how do I go about having those conversations? Um, and and, and am, am I going to be successful in having those conversations? In your mind, how can teachers, directors, like those people who ha really have the boots on the ground, the ones who are changing the diapers and writing the lesson plans, balancing <laughs> the budgets, how 
can they be advocates in really accessible ways? And what maybe should they be advocating for? So the first thing that comes to mind is we're, we're teachers, you know, that's, that's second nature. They're in the classroom and they're teaching anything from gentle touchings, you know, it's all these little intricate little pieces of what makes us human that they're constantly teaching. And my advice is just expand on that and just take your teaching out into the community. And sometimes when we think of advocacy, it's like, you think of like a bullhorn and you're out there and you're like mm -hmm. screaming at the top of your lungs, but the most powerful advocacy is just happens in those one-on-one -on -one interactions, conversations, educating those around you. Um, we often find ourselves in conversations where we may be the only one in that room or at in that circle that has this insight on why things are the way they are to a particular ailment in the community or an offhanded comment or mm. um so i just encourage them just by educating educating others how important it is or how you know some of the challenges that you see families experiencing um and you may touch upon those you know, the touch points are always the wages, professional development, access, all those things. And you don't have to call them those exact names, but just creating that awareness with others that probably wouldn't look at early childhood with that lens mm -hmm. of experiencing those things. And then as always, as educators, because our field is ever evolving and we always have to be educating ourselves on new research and different ways of doing things. And sometimes we're pushed into these new ways of doing things because there's some regulatory requirement. But just part of stretching ourselves as professionals is that just being able to speak to our profession and stretching ourselves to, yeah, pick, pick, pick up the phone and, and dial, you know, your representative's number and leave a message or write that email or introduce yourself to others as an early childhood teacher, as an educator that, that works with young children. So it's just very, you know, it, it, it doesn't have to feel like this extra thing you're doing. It's just part of what you are already doing. Teachers, did you hear her? You are already doing the thing just by doing what you're already doing, by teaching, by having those conversations. And I think with any profession, when you're in it every day, those conversations are what come really naturally. You're going to end up talking to someone about your job or telling a funny story about something that happened in your classroom. And just by giving people that insight into what every day in early childhood looks like, it gives them a perspective, like you said, that they may not have had before. I think the other thing that for me, I am a, I would like to do all of the things all at the same time. <laughs> and I have had to learn that that is not um, real life. So I think when I really started looking into the advocacy space, what helped a lot for me was to pick a thing, to pick something that made me really excited to pick up the phone or write that email or talk to someone about. For me, the first thing that I was able to do that with was the Teach Scholarship. I had used it 
multiple times for different things. And someone had reached out to me and been like, hey, just so you know, it's really important that you guys talk to people about this because we are government funded. And if that funding goes away, we are not able to continue doing what we're doing. And I was like, hold on, who's not talking about this? And so I think everything that you said, that it's things that teachers are already doing that, you know, you don't need a horn and to go outside and to take a week off to travel, to go somewhere to do it, but that we can be advocates in our everyday lives. And then, you know, just to pick something that kind of make your, makes, makes your heart sing, that makes you smile when you're talking about it and gets you really excited to not necessarily to fight for, but to, but I guess, yes, to fight for. <laughs> no, I, I was just thinking, you know, as, as early educators, so part of our thing that we do is we always encourage our students to say, if you don't like the way so-and-so is treating you, or if you don't, if you're not comfortable, I want you to use your words and say, <laughs> hey, hey, Tyler, I don't like it when you speak to me that way. Um, it really hurt my feelings, or I would like to play with you, or I want to, and, and, and we encourage them and we coach them and we're like, you've got this, you could do this. So I think as educators in that space that we're constantly coaching our little ones to do these things that, you know, we kind of, we can turn it around and say like, am I doing this? Am I going into this mm -hmm. space? Am I, at, you know, at just speaking up for myself you know not for the entire field but am I doing what I'm asking these young children to do as well so that's just something that I you know we expect a lot from our little ones but it's are we also modeling these behaviors mm -hmm. yeah. and I think that's where the role of directors comes in we've talked a lot about educators and like the individuals in the classroom but what are some things that directors can do because I imagine there's some sort of weird paradigm where it's like the director knows that they're not paying people that they enough, but how do you say you need we need to increase wages? And the teacher's like, "Yeah, director, we need to increase wages." <laughs> you know, <laughs> what is that like in the classroom or even at the state level? Like, how do you get directors and teachers moving in the same direction toward sustainable change? So that's something we've we've also thought about and it goes back to like how do we all go in harmony like how do we all harmonize these voices and one of the things that I, I've noticed with advocacy is that in the past it's always felt like this like call to action like everyone let's go we have to show up in forces and that you know that loud and in your face and it's, it's calling out some of these things but one of the things directors can do, which is very helpful, is just the concept of calling in, inviting others into the space, which they have that ability. And it's not so much that you're showing up to these meetings or taking time off to do these things, but you're running a well-oiled machine. Or maybe you used to have a really well-oiled machine, but now you have to shut down some parts of this machine and you're making it work. Um, but just the concept of calling members of the community and inviting them like, hey, I'm a small business or I'm helping someone operate a small business in the community that happens to be shaping minds and your future workforce. I want to invite you to come and have, you know, a little walkthrough. I was going to say invite lunch, but I'm like, lunch can be a little messy. That's <laughs> but, <laughs> like, 
but or yeah invite them to lunch i always say like oh like invite me invite me to lunch i'll put on the hairnet i'll put on the gloves like let's get in here together but um just one of that's one of the things that we can they can work to say like this is why the work is so important but i'm also not having to call out and and, and go out into this other space that's not their space i feel that in early ed we feel the most empowered and the most confident within the chaos of our classrooms and our schools. And I feel that's when when you invite others into that space, it's a little bit more empowering and you feel that, yeah, I know what I'm talking about yeah. versus constantly having to like, you know, just the other way where you take yourself out of that comfort environment to go speak on these issues that are may not be making sense because they've never experienced it. And that's, that's one of the things that as directors is maybe not assuming that they understand exactly what our learning environments, what the work conditions look like um, for teachers, but also for the children and, and families, these places where they drop off their children and um, so just kind of just inviting, invite them in, bring them to you. Give them a day in the life of a preschool teacher. Yeah. Somebody who's used to sitting in a nice cozy office with lots of, you know, adult sized chairs, have them come in and sit, you know, in the tiny chairs or on the floor like <laughs> the teachers do. <laughs> I, we had a couple people who came out and, um, sat in our classrooms with us and I think you are so right that as teachers as early educators we were talking just not that long ago that like I am more comfortable around two-year-olds than I am around some adults um and that's <laughs> my happy place two-year-olds think you're cool no matter what you do they just want to mm -hmm. be with you and I don't know once they hit teenage years they they become um scary but <laughs> uh, but I really do think that's powerful to have somebody who's not used to that kind of chaos seeing how early educators in in a professional manner are able to problem solve and really face the challenges that we have head on you know in the small things every day and then in bigger ways I really think it it becomes very eye-opening for people who aren't used to being in that scenario. One thing that I think is really important to recognize is we talk about the directors or advocacy in general. So you mentioned there are some places in the community. Where would somebody go? Let's say, um, where would somebody who has an in-home childcare facility in Miami-Dade, who, who only speaks Spanish, where would he or she go to advocate for better conditions, for higher subsidies, for whatever? Where would What is the first step for them? Like, let's say I'm ready to go bring people in. Where do I go to find people? I would always say the very first, and this is part of where we we expand our, our, our educational lens, is even before saying we're thinking of going it's it's understanding who like who is it that I'm going to go speak to so mm. part of what we do at Placey is also just make these contacts accessible like knowing how important it is to know who your representatives are who represent you where you have your child care business but also who is representing the families that you serve 
because mm -hmm. although you may live there and they represent you, your families may come from different parts. So just knowing who you are, and it doesn't mean that you need to have them on speed dial, but at least you know that you belong to an association that has that information for you so that's the first thing and then i would say you can you can start with your local commissioner calling them up and saying hey i, I serve a couple of the families that you represent um the mayor and then you can go as 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 high up as you want, our state representatives spend a lot of time in their home districts, and that is where you make the most impact. Although it is very exciting and it's nice to visit them at the Capitol, visiting them there where you can make the most impact is just at home. Um, calling them and, and starting there, your representatives and inviting them in. Um, there are many local leaders that operate in different spaces, the chambers and business associations and um, just being creative and, and just having that mindset that early childhood education is everyone's business. Like someone's really big into like climate issues and environmental. Okay, I'll make that into, okay, let's talk about how it affects the little ones. I haven't been able to yeah. take them out outdoors for this many days because the heat it's so hot I mean, there, there were so many days this summer that it was so hot that the, the kids could not safely go outside to play so mm -hmm. let's let's talk about that or just so many so many different leaders that you know you just have to take your take your pick I think that's a great tip for people who are looking to start conversations is to say you know okay I know this person is very interested in XYZ. How can I show them how that affects what's happening in our school or in our classroom or just the lives of the small people who I teach every day? I think that's such a great place to start. Exactly. I know that there's a lot of research um, coming out about the the kind of ripple effects of the childcare crisis or the ripple effects of the different societal issues we have coming into early childhood education. So I think for our listeners, maybe we'll put some links in the, the show mm -hmm. notes here. That way we can provide some resources so we can find out, well, what is the climate crisis really looking like in early childhood education? Finding new solutions to address these issues that are permeating into early childhood education is going to be really key. But it's something that even, you know, and this is what makes it so, it makes it fun and it make, makes it exciting is that advocacy is in early ed is it's evolving. It's something mm -hmm. that even Lacey is having to kind of just navigate and, uh, and, and learn more about it and then educate ourselves a little bit more about these issues. The way I ended up in early child care was... I just kind of fell into it. In fact, my mom was a director for 30 years and I swore that I would never <laughs> work in early childhood education. I have a sister who is uh, seven, eight years younger than me. And then I for sure said I was never going to work in early childhood education. <laughs> and after I had my son, lo and behold... I ended up um, <laughs> working at a preschool and just fell in love with it. But when I started, advocacy wasn't really something that anybody had ever 
told me about or taught me about. And so I just, I love that we're able to have these conversations now and that it's becoming something that is talked about and that teachers and directors are talking more about that there's training and professional development where you can find out about advocacy or that's referencing advocacy. And COVID really shined a light on how we can have those conversations about what the future of this field looks like and how we're going to keep going throughout challenges that affect way more than just one local area or one state, but affect the field as a whole. And now we're seeing the children who were born in like mid COVID are they're in preschool age. Now my daughter was born right before COVID and she's almost four now. And they're just built different, man, those kids, that experience really, (laughs) really did affect them in a profound way. And everyone I know who had a child around that same time where, you know, right before or right after COVID, where everyone was feeling the effects, they're all like, yeah, they are something else. You know, they (laughs) have... I don't know if it's resiliency. I don't know if it's, I call it sass with my daughter, but (laughs) I don't don't want to say that about anybody else's kids, but they are, at least in my experience, really independent in a very different way than a lot of the children who were, or that I knew before that time. And so I think it's so interesting that we're going to get to see in real time this kind of effect of what a worldwide event had on children who were in this age group when it happened. And hopefully we can take that information. And I mean, we all hope that nothing like COVID ever happens again, but (laughs) should something happen on that scale again, be able to provide the best care for the children and the best care for the families, and then also the best care for the teachers and the directors and the people who are working to keep centers open through these big events that do happen. You know, I just think there are so many facets to what we do as early educators. And I just, I love that there are organizations like Flacey who are there to help support what early educators are doing in that every, everyday way. Being able to continue to advocate through adversity and being able, as you mentioned, Norma, as the field is developing, continuing to develop with it, as we don't really have the luxury of being stuck in our ways of how we advocated in the the past or what we advocated about in the past. There's so much that is different now than it was when when I was a kid versus when my mom was a kid versus when my grandma was a kid. Now we're having conversations about screen time and all these different things. When when I was a kid, the internet wasn't, I mean, in the 90s, the internet was like, oh yeah, those that's what people use at work. You know, it wasn't like a thing that we had in rural <laughs> Iowa. It was like, oh yeah, they're going to go look. You know, I didn't even know, I didn't have a concept <laughs> of the internet. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but now we're talking about privacy and we're talking about, you know, the, just the conversations are very different. Anyway, these are all things that that are tied up in advocacy. So for our listeners, some suggestions we have, look into your your local NACI chapter 
In some places, they have them based on county. In some places, they have them based on state. Um, but at Burleson Education, we are committed to supporting the voices of individuals in the space, amplifying them, and then harmonizing them, helping them to work with organizations that have a harmonizing voice. Finding your voice and then being able to harmonize it through those larger groups can help uh, generate a lot of impact. Norma, I know you have such a heart for teachers. We had a great conversation that I, I almost <laughs> wish we would have recorded the last time that we talked. <laughs> but I want to ask, do you have anything to say to our listeners, to teachers out there who maybe just need a little encouragement or some wisdom? I My encouragement is definitely the best thing you could do for the families that you work with and the students that you nurture and you hold and you just you teach throughout the years. The biggest thing you could do for them is be their voice be their voice because your your lens on what they're experiencing of their experiences of their growth is so unique and you may be the only person in that family's life in that child's life that is seeing this play out real time because they're just so in it at, in the moment these families like you say like it's like they drop drop off, drop off, pick up, you know, let me make sure I didn't forget anything. Um, but you may be the only person in that family's life that is seeing this and that you can speak to those experiences. And so if you have an opportunity to share that in the spirit of making things better for them in the future, for their families, for your colleagues, for the teachers that will come um, after you've moved off or moved on, you know, it, it's something that just you do share the story, share your story. Someone once, there's a quote that goes with it. And it's just, even if your voice shakes when you're sharing the story, that you're not a public speaker, you're a public speaker with screaming three-year-olds, but not when it comes to people <laughs> your age, just, just, say it just share it and invite them into your your space because uh, as as we had discussed earlier the impact that you have even in your day-to-day -day interactions with these families and children it will go on forever if you're lucky they may come back and say hey remember me <laughs> like you made such a difference um, but you just don't know the impact that you have so now imagine how much more of an impact you can have on on children and families that you will never meet and they will never meet you but because you have shared your voice your story it has made a little bit of a light bulb go off in someone's mind a stakeholder and you may not even know did me sharing the story make a difference you may never see that but at least it didn't stay with you at least you put it out there um, so that's my that's my advice is is that wherever your comfort level is today, just go all out. You you have you have nothing to lose. Your babies have nothing to lose, and those families like you just have you have an opportunity to make things uh, better. That was amazing. Yeah, so much to gain from sharing the stories and the things that are happening in 
early childhood ed, you had me tearing up there because (laughs) as a teacher, that's the dream, right? Is that you find out that what you did mattered. And it sounds silly because of course we know what we do matters. Of course, (laughs) every day we're in those classrooms with the kids matter, but it can be so easy to get kind of caught up in the Mm -hmm. stuff. Um, My mom who was a director, she calls it getting too close to the goo or getting stuck in the goo. And (laughs) it can happen so easily. But as people who have been in a classroom with little kids, we all have those moments that we will remember forever where you're like, got it. Or (laughs) I know they're going to take this with them. Those are the moments I think that keep us coming back. Those are the moments that keep us changing diapers for 10 years or (laughs) whatever it might be and it's so wonderful to know that people recognize it to know that people see it to know that you're not alone in the challenges that you're facing and that telling those stories has a profound impact on you and the kids in your classroom and your community and as you keep going bigger and bigger from your state (laughs) to the field, it's just, it's so wonderful just to continue to encourage teachers that what they're doing matters. Sometimes it just takes somebody that you've never met or you've never seen telling you through a microphone, through the phone in your car that you're listening to the podcast on that (laughs) what you're doing matters for it to really sink in. So thank you, Norma. That was beautiful. Amen. Everybody, I think, uh, <laughs> I think uh, this has been a another wonderful guest on the Out of Ratio podcast, and we're grateful for your presence here, Norma. And we're excited to hang out with you in Orlando here in a couple weeks. Norma, thanks again. We're so excited to follow your work, and we'll post the links that you share with us here in the show notes after. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is an episode that I am leaving feeling so inspired. Norma shared so much about how we can all have an impact and honestly, how beautiful that in this world of ECE, every voice matters and needs to be heard. As we wrap up this episode, let's reflect a little bit on what we learned today. We learned that advocacy isn't a one-size-fits-all concept. It permeates every level of early childhood education from teachers and caregivers to policymakers to organizations like Flacey here in Florida and all over the world. Norma showed us the significance of advocacy in amplifying the voices of those who work day in and day out to nurture our youngest learners. We discussed some common challenges in advocacy and the importance of persistence in overcoming them. And Norma's advice for aspiring advocates is absolutely invaluable. It reminds us that advocacy can begin with small steps and that every voice matters in the pursuit of positive change. To our listeners, if you've found today's conversation inspiring and informative, like I have, please consider subscribing to Out of Ratio on your preferred podcast platform. Your subscription ensures that you won't miss future episodes where we explore important topics like early childhood advocacy and helps us continue to create quality content to bring to you. We also welcome your reviews and feedback. Your support helps us reach a broader audience of advocates for early education. Until our next episode, 
Keep in mind that advocacy is a powerful tool for positive change in early childhood education. Norma showed us that by championing change, we can create a brighter future for our youngest learners. Thanks for joining us today, and I'll see you next time on Out of Ratio.